1: Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for
0: delicious Kroger brand products because they'll
1: make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save fifty dollars on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, twenty four. See participating retailer for details. The volume. No! Oh my God! How could he? Come on! Donate! Oh. Cha- what? Charles Darwin. The nerds is where it's at.
2: Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be talking about some of the NBA's hottest teams, how much we buy into these hot streaks and their playoff upside, and We are going to be filling out the remainder of the All-Star rosters as we would like to see them. Those will be officially announced tomorrow. So all of that coming throughout this episode, and we're going to start by talking about probably the hottest team in the league, the New York Knicks, who have won eight straight basketball games, who have consistently been blowing teams out ever since they traded for OG Ananobi and even these last couple games with OG out with Julius Randle now out with that dislocated shoulder obviously Mitchell Robinson has been out for quite some time and is done for the year they just keep winning so Logan how far do you think this Knicks team can go? I think they could make an
1: Eastern Conference Finals run, man. I really believe in the Knicks that much. Uh, like, they are really legitimate to me. Since acquiring OG Ananobi, they are 14-2. and two. They're 6th in offensive rating. This is since January 1st mm-hmm. uh, when he made his debut with the team. Uh, they have an offensive rating of 120.2. Again, that's 6th. Number 1 in defensive rating, 104.4. And they are number 1 in net rating just ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And for me with the Knicks, it just starts with the effort and the consistent Uh, tenacity that this team plays with like I know that we can get a blanket statements for every sports game right turnovers in football Mm -hmm. effort really will win you a lot of games man if you're making winning plays if you're crashing the glass if you're playing hard if you're just locked in consistently and the Knicks just make winning plays man playing hard defense rebounding they're number one in rebounds per game over the same time span too Mm -hmm. and I just think this team complements each other so well. We all know that Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, and Dante DiVincenzo date back to playing winning basketball at Villanova. Those guys gel well together. This team just, it's beautiful. I don't know, man. theres It, 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 it reminds me of, and, and please don't misconstrue this when I say that this team is as talented as this team, mm. but uh, it reminds me, Carson, of like the 0-4 Pistons in the sense that this is a conglomerate of really good players mm-hmm. that play well, complement each other, and play hard together. This is—it's a real stylistical contrast to when you know early 2010s or uh, in recent memory with the super teams that we've had with you know the Heatles, the Warriors. Yeah. This is a team. This is a team that is good, you know. And obviously, they're led out by their stars too. But it's a great team, and uh, I've been really impressed with OG and Ob 2 especially that. One, I think it's hard that he plays in Toronto. I don't feel like there's a ton of eyes there. I've been really impressed with OG's ability uh, as a ball handler, as a guy operating in the pick and roll with the ball in his hands. Like, he is a huge, strong oh, yeah. wing. Like, he is a big ball handler where, and he's not afraid to initiate, right? That's one of the things that I love is that with Brunson on the court, uh With Randall, with OG, when all three of these guys are on the court together, you have three guys that can legitimately handle wherever they catch the ball. So what does that mean? That means when Brunson or Randall creates an advantage for one of their teammates, OG is a guy that can capitalize on that, right? He's not a guy that you want to run your offense completely through as the lead ball handler, as the lead playmaker. But when he has an advantage created for him, he's a great spot-up guy, and he does have enough of a handle where he can attack mismatches. And in the Eastern hierarchy, right now, I'll go ahead and I'll run down my group. It goes Celtics, Sixers, Knicks, Heat for me, and mm. I've completely written off the Bucks. I do not Insane. care. Insane. I am sticking to my guns. If I'm wrong, I'm going to be wrong. I don't care. I'm going to stick to them this whole season. I think the hiring of Doc Rivers will spell doom for this team. They will not win the title. I do not think they make the Eastern Conference Finals. I think this potentially loses them Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard. I'm going to stick to it. I don't think the Milwaukee Bucks are real contenders. I don't care how talented they are. They have Doc Rivers leading the charge. I know what Doc Rivers is, man.
2: I think you are just greatly exaggerating how much of a bumbling fool Doc Rivers is. He's a fine NBA coach. No, he is not the guy who I would have gone to to get them over the hump. But I also think it feels like you're neglecting that Adrian Griffin was not a good coach. And even if I thought that they were a bit hasty to fire him and Doc is not the guy who I would have gone to to say, hey, we can fix all of our problems. It's not like Adrian Griffin was going to do them any favors in a playoff run. So I think the overwhelming talent that they have, to me, they're still definitely two out east.
1: Doc Rivers is a component in it for me. So are the defensive issues. I hope that Damian Lillard... Uh, shows more effort uh, when it comes playoff time. But I'm going to stick to my guns. That's my take with the Bucks the rest of the year, man. No amount of good basketball can really undo that for good me, Lord. man. I, I, think, I think Doc is a death sentence for Milwaukee. But anyway, this is a long-winded way to say that at the end of the day, the Knicks can't really change how I feel about them. I want them to go on a run. I want them to do these things. I think they are a great conglomerate of talent. It is contingent on Julius Randle. And yeah. ironically, Julius Randle has failed in two different runs in two different roles as the number one guy, and then as the number two against Atlanta, 18-12 and four on 42 and a half true shooting against the Cavaliers in the Heat, 17-8 and four on 48 and a half true shooting. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that's what
1: we've gotten out of Julius in the playoffs. He was bench versus the Cavs, wasn't closing games out, and I think that was well deserved. And Julius is just fr- frustrating as a basketball player because there are halves, there are quarters where. Damn, I'm hyped, man. Julius is getting out in transition. He's playing team basketball. He is locked in as a defender, as a rebounder. He is making good decisions. He's playmaking. He's weaponizing his physical advantages. He's playing good basketball. It's just not consistent. And that is what's so frustrating about him as a basketball player. So not to beat a dead horse. I love this team. I think they're legit. But Julius Randle scares me shitless about the Knicks playoff aspirations.
2: Yeah, he is the one thing that potentially is holding them back, but I do want to focus on the positives first because there is so much to love about this team, and they are certainly climbing my hierarchy out east. I do like them more than the Sixers. I think the gap in role players is just massive, man, and that's not to say that I don't like what we're getting from the Wings in Philly. I do, and of course, I really like Maxi. But this is just a team that plays such great basketball together, and OG has changed the game for them. I liked the move just in terms of thinking that it would improve them immediately, but I also didn't think that it was a real needle mover, and I thought that it would be painful to give up IQ, but it is a needle mover. They have a defensive rating of 99.5 when he is on the floor, Logan. It's just obscene what they are doing on that side of the ball, and... He can fill so many different roles for them offensively. You see it against the Nuggets. Takes on Jamal Murray. Does a phenomenal job on ball and isolations. He moves so well, he can stick with guards. Of course, he's really strong, so you can't go through him on drives. And then he has this crazy length so he can affect your jumpers. He navigates screens well for a guy of his size. He can certainly handle those bigger wing matchups. So you look across the East and it's kind of like whoever the opposing team's best player is, OG is going to be the answer there. If it is a 6'3 guard or if it is a 6'8 wing, you're going to put OG on that guy and he is going to make life harder on him than anybody else on this roster could have. But he also does so much off-ball. He has such awesome instincts, jumping, passing lanes. His hands are great. As a low man, he can disrupt stuff. He's averaging over a block a game for the Knicks. Like He is just such a valuable defensive player and offensively, he's a seamless fit. He's been awesome shooting. He's a good cutter, just an all-around really good off-ball player, and as you mentioned, can in spots weaponize those physical advantages on the ball. Then you have the other guys around him who deserve credit, who have consistently been balling out this year. Dante DiVincenzo, my longtime guy, Logan, loved him, one of my three favorite value picks in the 2018 draft He's having an unbelievable shooting season specifically, 43% from deep on six attempts a game, but he does the complimentary stuff. He attacks closeouts and can get to that floater game. He's a solid playmaker offensively and defensively is a phenomenal playmaker. Like He may not have the sort of physical tools to where he's a great defender, but in terms of taking advantages of offensive lapses and attention, jumping, passing lanes, stripping guys, like he's going to make his fair share of impact plays there. As will Josh Hart, by the way, who isn't having like a great year by his standards, is down shooting, but with his rebounding, with what he does pushing in transition, with his playmaking, he's always going to be a dude you want on your basketball team if you're trying to win games. And then Isaiah Hartenstein like, might be the hero of the season, stepping up with Mitchell Robinson out. He has consistently been an elite rim protector. He's holding opposing players 12% below. Their average field goal percentage at the rim. That's a number that stacks up against anybody in the league. Got really good hands defensively, averaging over a steal game. He moves well in space. He is a phenomenal rebounder. He's just this big, strong-as-hell guy who offensively finishes efficiently, has solid touch, just Everything that you want from a five who is going to be in that traditional like non-floor spacing, non-outlier playmaking, although he's a solid passer. If you just want somebody to do the basic big man stuff, he is doing it really, really well. So it's the collective efforts we're seeing from those role guys. And then the fact that I think Jalen Brunson can go toe to toe, not with anybody, but with a whole lot of dudes in a playoff series. And if you're talking about, can he have a Donovan Mitchell run? that we saw back in like 2020 where he's just unconscious or even maybe something close to like a Jimmy run last year. I think that Jimmy will always be able to exceed him in terms of two-way impact, but offensively Brunson's advantage is he's a crazy versatile shot maker who always gets to his spots. He's going to hit the paint and maybe not get all the way to the rim, But he shoots 55% on floaters. So that's almost a layup for him. And then draws the defensive attention. He can playmake in those situations. 40% on pull-up threes this year. 46% on catch-and-shoot threes. He is just putting on a shot-making clinic every night. And the way that he does it scales so well to a playoff environment. We already saw it last year. He felt like one of the more unstoppable players in that postseason run. Even though the Knicks as a whole kind of broke down because of Julius Randle. And also because... They were a bad shooting team. And on top of the fact that they have completely raised their defensive ceiling, this wasn't a very good defensive team last year. And it wasn't a very good defensive team before OG got there this year. But they have been defending at an unbelievable level. And offensively, you just can't guard them the same way. The Heat were able to kind of embarrass the Knicks by just loading up on drives from their two stars, sinking into that free throw line, packing the paint and saying, all right, your shooters have to beat us. RJ, you have to beat us from beyond the arc. Josh Hart, you have to beat us from beyond the arc. Now in those spots, it's OGN and Obi who's shooting nearly 40% from three and attacks closeouts well. It's Dante DiVincenzo, who is a flamethrower. They were a 13th percentile spot-up team in the postseason last year. They're a 67th percentile spot-up team now. They've gone from being a really bad shooting team to actually quite a good shooting team. And so that is just going to make everything easier on their star creators in those playoff environments because teams can't load up on them in the same way. The only reason that I can't have this team in the conference finals, as you already hit on, is Julius Randle. I am so low on him, and I really have been forever. I think that his entire play style is not conducive to winning at the highest level because he is a ball stopper. He can be a black hole on offense. His playmaking is fine, but in those playoff of set- settings, we've seen it exposed, where the assists go down, the turnovers go up, and he's always going to be reliant on that Difficult shot making, his pull-up shooting, if it's from mid-range or beyond the arc. And he has runs there where he's really good, and he has runs there where he is awful. And I'm always scared of those cold runs because we've seen them in both postseason appearances up to this point. Then when the effort defensively is going to wax and wane, maybe depending on how he's playing offensively, he just troubles me. If you get good Julius Randle, I absolutely think this team can beat the Bucs because they're going to defend at a much higher level and the contributions from their role players are going to be exceptional. But because I know what I am getting from Dame and Giannis, more or less, Dame has been underwhelming this year, but he's still Damian Lillard. That just elevates them to me uh, above the Knicks. But versus everybody else, I would have said before the OG trade that I liked Miami more because I believed Mm -hmm. in their duo at the top. But this supporting cast for New York is just awesome. So I do think that they're three for me. Randall keeps them out of that top two, though.
1: Do you think that they match up well against Boston, too? Size, athletically, physically?
2: I think that they do match up well. The one guy on the floor who was going to concern me is Jalen Brunson. But Mm -hmm. NBA University actually tweeted out a great stat today that on isolations, Jalen Brunson is forcing a turnover 35% of the time, overwhelmingly just off of charges. So he's certainly lacking in physical tools, but in terms of positioning, IQ, instincts on that side of the ball, he can make up for it a bit. The Celtics just don't have a dude like that who you can attack, and everybody can attack Mm -hmm. a small guard, like that it's not just going to be automatic points But, but it is a concerning matchup but overall yeah i mean this is a team with athletic wings they're huge in the front court they've got their two star shot creators they've got shooting on the perimeter alongside them they're checking a whole lot of boxes they're just not as talented as boston so i wouldn't pick them but i do think that they could make that a legit series they would need good julius Randle though and that scares me
1: I concur, and there's a different level of offensive versatility, I think, that comes with the Knicks that Boston just doesn't have because of a guy like Jalen Brunson. Uh, That being said, I do think this stretch really is encouraging, that Mitchell Robinson is out, that you've had other guys out, that in a playoff scenario, uh, whether it be injuries, whether it be guys underperforming, I think the Knicks are really well-equipped to uh, have their role guys step up and play huge roles. Like I think they've got the best depth of any team, maybe out east. That's a huge difference maker. Like The Bucs can't go six seven deep they've got bozos down the rest of the roster right like boston can't go that deep this year because of the sacrifices they made for their starting five the knicks kind of feel like the deepest team out east and that's a that's a huge factor i don't know it's it's a real stark contrast it's like i said about that pistons team and you know the all-star studded teams that we've seen it's a real stark contrast to where teams are going we're going to sacrifice our role guys our depth Mm -hmm. and we're going to go in and we're going to get that star talent and the knicks haven't the Knicks have said we're gonna stand pat we're gonna build around our guys and we're gonna have 10 you know 8 to 10 deep every night that's a huge component of this to me is that the Knicks man dude if we can Carson we don't even need great Julius Randle, man we we literally just need good Julius Randle. we need don't kill us Julius we need smart winning basketball yeah that's still the biggest factor but I I, I really like the Knicks man I'm I'm very high on them, and I think they could be primed to to make a run, dude. I, I think a I think an Eastern Conference Finals run is doable, and I think if you get good Randall and great Brunson, I really
2: think the Knicks could make a Finals run. Yeah, this is a totally different Knicks team than the last two iterations that we've seen in the playoffs. The first version, which I did not buy into at all because I was low on Randall and because that was just a really bad offensive team. And I was like, in a playoff setting, people are going to be able to load up on Randall and things are going to get really ugly. And they did. But even versus last year, this team is going to defend much better. That team was 19th in defensive rating last year. You just have different weapons on that side of the ball now with OG most notably. And I do believe that the offensive supporting cast is much better because of the shooting. So those clear limitations that could still be exploited last year just don't exist on this team outside of Julius Randle going uh, very, very south, which can't happen. Last dude I want to shout out real quick for the Knicks is just Deuce McBride because he's been playing more since IQ got traded. Boy, man. He clamps up. He defends his ass off and mm. he's been doing enough offensively. I liked him as a prospect Mm -hmm. and we haven't really seen him get to contribute at this level, but he's been playing well as of late and it's just reflective of like the mentality of this whole team Man, they just have dogs. They have dogs who make winning plays and that's, really really matters in a playoff run so the knicks have been on fire but out west the team who has also been consistently climbing up the standings has kind of taken the opposite approach to what you were just laying out logan with the prioritizing role players this is a team that has some good role guys but they've gone in on that classic big three model and that is the la clippers logan are they now the favorite to you out west they're not the favorite to me out West, but they are second in the Western
1: Conference. And I think they give the Nuggets the best run for their money at this point in time. Uh, the Lakers are in perpetual disarray. Yeah. The Warriors still haven't figured it out.
2: LeBron the- tweeted the hourglass emoji. I repeat, LeBron has tweeted the hourglass Def emoji. CON
1: 5. Defcon 5. Sound the alarm. Yep. Sound the alarm. <laughs> I don't trust the Suns' bench of role players, and then I just think the Timberwolves and Thunder are really young. And so that leaves. I mean, and I certainly don't trust my Sacramento Kings. I don't even think we need to address that. We don't. Since acquiring James Harden, uh, that is November 6th, 2023, and on, they are number six in offensive rating, tied 11th in defensive rating, and six in net rating. You just think about the recipe for the playoffs. They have a bona fide number one in Kawhi Leonard. That man is the Terminator. He is always going to show up. He's always going to ball out. They have a dream number two. If you built a dream number two in a lab, it would be Paul George. You got playoff P. They finally have a true point guard to stabilize the offense in James Harden. And he is playing selfless good basketball like you have harped on all season long, Carson. He has the advantage of being able to go up against a team's third best perimeter defender. They have an interior beast in Big Zoo who is currently injured right now, but he is a huge component of this team's playoff recipe. He is their Hulk. The Clippers need their Hulk. They need Big Zoo. And then I like their depth. Terrence Mann, Russell Westbrook, Norm Powell, Mason Plumlee. They've got good bench pieces. Injuries are seemingly the only thing that I think can hold this team back. Kawhi, PG Harden, perennially injured. Zoo, like I said, dealing with a calf strain. Out a month. Like, I really buy into this team. They play good flowing basketball. They've got good defenders. They've got an interior guy that can anchor the glass and good depth. To me, Carson... I just wish they had a few more bench wings. Like if they could have somehow held on to, you know, like Batum or You give those guys up to get uh, Harden. Obviously, I I just wish they had a few more bench wings because I think the thing that's going to come back to bite LA. And again, hypothetically, I'm not counting the Clippers out. I think they could outshoot uh, the Nuggets. You know, if you go, you know, if they if they just go on a torrential shooting run for the series, they could knock them off. They're just undersized, and I think they lose in the physicality and athletic categories matched up with Denver. I think Denver has the physical advantages. Obviously, Jokic on the inside, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. They've just got big bodies, man. And, and and then I think about the bench, and I think that their bench is kind of completely outmatched. Even with the young Nuggets, I think Peyton Watson, I think Christian Brown, I think those guys are just more physical and athletical. Uh, athletic. I love a word. that. A- athletic. Uh, They just have athletic advantages over the bench, where I think that that's going to matter. They're going to play better defense. They're going to rebound harder than this Clippers bench. But the Clippers have flamethrowers. That's the only red flag I have with this team, or two red flags. The injuries with the star guys that always concern me, and then the size and athletic, the physical wing depth. I wish they had a couple other guys, but the Clippers scare me other than any uh, any other team out West. And, And the West is... I think you said this in our group chat. It's just surprisingly weak to what I I expected coming into this season, man. I expected a lot more uh, out of the top dogs out West, the Suns, the Kings, Mm -hmm. the Lakers, the warriors. I expected a lot more than them. So it's a balance of both things. I think the Clippers are a lot better than I expected. And the West is just
2: surprisingly disappointing this far in the season. I totally agree on those last two points. They are clearly number two out West to me. And, I held on to the Timberwolves for a while compared to the Clippers. And Mm -hmm. when they made the Harden trade, sort of like what we were just talking about with OG, I thought, yeah, okay, this is going to make them a little bit better, but it's not going to completely change their outlook. But I have come around on this team. They're playing awesome basketball. In the new year, they have Mm -hmm. an offensive rating of 124.5. That's
1: disgusting. That's disgusting. It's
2: insane. They are an elite shooting team, the most accurate three-point shooting team in the NBA, They're athletic, on the perimeter. They honestly play with solid physicality, like you mentioned. Maybe they're undersized compared to Denver. But overall, they have a lot of athletic wings. They're not slight wings when you're talking about Kawhi, when you're talking about a 6'8 PG. So their size is overall pretty solid. And then they have the elite skill that comes from three star creators who are also very experienced and have consistently been in deep playoff runs. And like you said in a majority of matchups, Kawhi is going to be the best dude on the floor. He's not going to be the best dude on the floor against Denver, but outside of that, against the Timberwolves, he would certainly be against the Thunder. I love SGA. I think SGA is like a top seven player on the planet right now. I still don't know in that playoff environment, man. And then against anybody else, against the Suns he would be the best player on the floor. I think that in a playoff environment, his insane strength plus insane shot making plus still high level two-way impact puts him above both Katie and Book to me. So that really matters. And the depth here is solid. I get what you're saying in terms of like those bigger two-way wings because you don't have a Mm -hmm. Batum anymore, but you still have athleticism on the perimeter from the bench guys with Russ and Norman Powell. Like those are two pretty damn good sixth and seventh men. So... They just don't have that major red flag. They do have little red flags. And they're the same things that have plagued this Clippers team forever. They are not going to apply that really high-level rim pressure, which matters because when you're reliant on pull-up shooting and perimeter shooting overall, Mm -hmm. when you're overly reliant on it, you're susceptible to some volatility. And that has been the thing that has dragged them down historically. I don't think they have an elite two-way ceiling, but I think that they're still pretty good there. I'm concerned about Harden scoring at the same clip in the playoffs, but he's the number three option now, so the burden is less. So all of these concerns that I would have flagged about this team, yeah, most of them still exist, but they're less pressing. And now it seems like they matter more in relation to just Denver than it does in relation to the rest of the field because some of those other concerns have gotten bigger. Like I just don't know with Minnesota's offense at this point if they can hang going blow for blow against these elite high powered offenses this is a team that uh is really consistently great on that side of the ball has multiple star guys has solid role players they are playing really well and i think that we have to give them props for The Harden trade, because even if they don't win the title, which I still wouldn't expect them to do, and I do still think that there's a gap between them and Denver. I want to be clear, because I think there's going to be a lot of people who say, the Clippers are the favorite, the Clippers are the favorite. And I think that that is... to some extent, diminishing how great this Denver team can be, how great they were in last year's playoff run, how unstoppable that offense is, how huge they are, how historically great Jokic is. For all those reasons, Denver's still in a different class to me, but the Clippers have separated from everybody else out West.
1: Yeah, when you forgot the last red flag and that's just that they're the Clippers, you know, I mean, and also
2: injuries, which it's kind of like, all right, what can you do about that? That doesn't speak to who they are as a basketball team at full strength, but they are 1,000% more susceptible to that than any other high-level contender in the league.
1: Mm-hmm. This doesn't have much to do with like actual on-court basketball, but I am excited that the Intuit Dome is coming and the Clippers can finally have their own home. The room. wall! Like, have... Doesn't that look intimidating, man? I think it's awesome. I think. I, I think it looks... I think it looks scary, man. I'd be, I'm a good free throw shooter. I'd be scared to shoot free throws there, man.
2: People are clowning on it because it's the Clippers and it's like, Oh, how are they cool going to sell those I think it's
1: out? it's cool as fuck, man.
2: Against the Lakers, I do legitimately wonder how are they going to fill that? Cause they won't allow opposing fans. <laughs> 90% of the fans are going to be Lakers, but I love Steve Ballmer, dude. I kind of wish that he got a fan base that cared more. That could yeah. match his level of passion. Look,
1: You got to win first, man. Yeah,
2: dude, but they've been really good for the last five years. They got Kawhi and PG. They're getting stars. They have Kawhi, PG, Russ, and James Harden on the same team. Like, even though, obviously, Russ isn't a star, Harden isn't what he used to be, that should be putting people in the stands. They just don't have the culture as a fan base. But shout-out to Bomber. He's doing what he can.
1: He is. I'm excited, though. I think it's... I hope that this can be, you know, what finally jumpstarts this franchise. You know what I mean? They finally have their own home, uh, and I'm glad they got the stars locked up, man, because they need them to fill that place. Uh, I, I yeah, I completely agree with you too, though. I would not put them over Denver. I think that is, uh, I don't think that's giving enough credence to what they did last year. But I wouldn't count the Clippers out either, man. I I did not expect this, dude. I kind of wrote the Clippers off right as the Harden trade happened, man, and they have. Uh,
2: Done a 180. They're they're real contenders out west, man. Kind of like what you've done to the Milwaukee Bucks with Doc Rivers. Oh, I'm not
1: changing on that, though. That's done. The the Bucks are done. DOA.
2: Okay, man. I'm not so sure about that. They got a lot of talent. It's Doc. Doc has won an NBA title, Logan. Again, he is not an eject button. He is not a literal one-man sabotage crew. But this is an incredible 180 because (laughs) – all of the flaws that this team could have had were so pronounced for those first six games. Started 0-6 with Harden, and since then they have been nearly unbeatable. So I'm very excited to see what they can do in the playoffs. I love Kawhi, and it's great to have a team that at least it's like, okay, they're going to be fun to watch against Denver because the rest of the West is so flawed. Like I love OKC. I just think they're too young. I think they're too slight in the front court. Shout out to Minnesota. They keep winning games. That defense is awesome. I worry about their offense and entrusting Ant, as good as he is, to be the guy on like a Western Conference finals or deeper playoff run. I'm not saying they can't do it. It just seems a little bit less likely than the Clippers maintaining what they're doing right now. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58 DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered new customers can bet on the big game and turn five bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use
1: code nerds new customers can bet five bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code nerds. The crown is yours.
2: Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, last super hot team that we're going to talk about, Logan. The Cleveland Cavaliers actually just beat the Clippers, and they have been reeling off wins as of late, 10 of their last 11, and they've done that without Evan Mobley for all of those games until he just returned for that game against the Clippers, and they've done it without Darius Garland for that entire time, are they a serious threat out east to you
1: no I I, Damn. I I don't i don't really have the Cavs in my contending tier since 2024 started they are 10 and 2 like you noted without Mobley or garland they're number two in defensive rating over that time they're number two in net rating i mean the Cavs have been dominating but what it comes down to me is that it's gonna take what this stretch has really shown to me is that Cleveland needs to put shooters on the floor next to Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. That has been the most evident Mm -hmm. thing to me, is that ironically, without Evan Mobley, great defender, all-time defender, uh, they've had more spacing, right? It's been a little more open on the court. And they've had uh, a really hot shooting stretch. They are 6th in 3-point percentage since January 1st. Dean Wade is shooting 47% from behind the air. Georges Niang is shooting 44%. Sam Merrill is shooting 42%. It's like... Are these guys going to get 20 minutes a night during a playoff run? Because they're going to get cooked on the other side of the floor. If you really need these guys... Like, they just need more two-way, high-level, complementary guys. And to me, Uh they just... It's shown me that they have the propensity to get hot during a playoff run. But I also saw two months of basketball before to this where all this doesn't go together. And I, I don't like their wing depth or size. Again, I think Niang and Wade do... One thing on the court, they're kind of big, chunky guys who can shoot a little bit, mm-hmm. but they're not athletic, they're not going to be able to defend well, they're not going to be able to rebound well, they are guys who I'm going to pick on if they're on the court. Same goes for Sam Merrill, he can have that hater on him, it doesn't Ooh, matter. He's got You're that going to heater. pick on him in the playoffs. So, I don't like winged up, their wing depth or size. This has been a red hot shooting run, and I still think they have issues with their starting fives construction. Yeah. Like... Doesn't this set off a red flag for you? Without Garland or Mobley, they've been better. That's weird, man. That's weird. So, there's some chemistry stuff. There's some lineup construction stuff that we have talked about for so long that they have to fix. And they just need more two-way guys. Max Druse, Georges Niang, Dean Wade, and Sam Merrill are basically the same guy to me. You shoot. You stand there and you do this. Hey, guys, I'm open. Passing the ball. Let me hit a catch-and-shoot three. That's all they do for me. I... No. I, I don't, maybe the Cavs win a series. I wouldn't pick them to win a series, but no, they're not real contenders to me. I have no Eastern Conference Finals expectations or anything further for them. I think the Cavs are frauds.
2: I will say, when you lump all those guys together, Strews, to me, is a level above. I think that he's the best defender out of that group, and I think that he's the best playmaker out of that group, so he can have some impact, even if he's not shooting at a great clip, which, by the way, all year, it's not like he's been lights out from deep. But I do agree with what you're fundamentally saying, which is Max Struess is not going to be the best wing on a team that is making a conference finals or a finals run in today's NBA. The league is in many ways dictated by what your wings can do on both sides of the ball, attacking mismatches offensively, knocking down threes, defending at a high level, and ideally in a versatile fashion on the other side of the ball. And the Cavs just don't have those dudes because they've built a team with two small ball handlers and on-ball shot creators and with two high-level rim protectors who are just lacking in offensive skill. And you're exactly right, Logan. When you subtract one of those small on-ball perimeter creators and you subtract one of those unskilled defensive bigs, you can actually get better because they are shooting the ball better and Jared Allen has been awesome as the lone guy in his role and they've been a dominant rebounding team second in rebound rate without Evan Mobley over those last 15 games and Donovan Mitchell alone has been carrying the load as a scorer and playmaker quite nicely he's averaging eight assists per game over his last 15 so it's just not essential to have all of their star guys out there. But of course, without one of them, they don't have enough talent elsewhere on the wings in those supporting roles because they've invested in this four-star lineup. So the fundamental limitation for me is that their offensive rating, when Jared Allen and Mobley play together, is 108, which maybe doesn't sound crazy low, but that's because offensive rating leaps three points every year. That's seven points below their normal offensive rating, which is 16th in the league. So if your quote unquote best lineup with the core guys out there who are going to make you an elite defense are one of the worst offenses in the league, you're just not going to compete at a high level like that. You have to be able to manufacture consistent, good offense in the half court to contend. And those two playing out there together are holding them back. I do want to shout out some of their fines on the margins because Sam Merrill legitimately it has that strap on him, bro.
0: Splick.
2: Splick. 44% from deep on eight attempts a game. Since Garland got hurt and he started getting more minutes, 13 points per game. Best Mr. Irrelevant since Isaiah Thomas. So shout out to him. Now I do agree that uh, he would be attacked and hunted in a playoff series. And I don't think he's going to play a ton, but shout out to him at least. Cause it's fun to watch a guy emerge like that. Craig Porter jr. All year has been quite good. He's got some pop to him as a ball handler and Struce has been playing quite well, but that doesn't really change their outlook. And so I don't think that they're really a threat. That lack of offensive skill in the front court and that lack of really good wings is going to be their undoing. So what do you think, Logan? Do they need to make a major trade? And if so, who is the guy or the guys who need to be on the move?
1: Yeah, I do. And... I don't know who you choose between with Garland or Mitchell. I think both of them are studs. So, I mean, my odd man out would be, I think it would be Jared Allen. And, I mean, Jared Allen's been my odd man out for the past couple of years. Carson, we've been having this conversation for, you were the first guy I ever heard on this. Mm. Three years, I mean, when, when they drafted Mobley, you said long-term, Mobley slides of the five, you move Allen. And we both thought after one year of Mobley, after his rookie season, mm-hmm. that was the next logical step. I mean, it's just abundantly clear to me that somebody's got to go. And for me, it would be Jared. Jared's a valuable guy. He's on a great contract. Like, I don't know who the team is. Like, I think about teams that are slight or need another five. Like, I think about the Thunder. Uh, The only reason I say Oklahoma City is just because I think that him and Chet could, like, coexist. Mm. He gives you a little more size on the interior. Slide Chet to the four. Um, Try to get back a wing. That's the tough part is finding a team that needs that five and that has the piece that you need. Right. Being a two-way wing who can defend at a high level, who's long, who's athletic, and who can shoot. Damn, man. OG Ananobi would (laughs) have been awesome in Cleveland. You know what I mean?
2: Would have been awesome.
1: It's about finding that asset, and I don't know who that asset is. uh, Because, again, it just has to line up perfectly. Jared Allen's the odd man out to me just because he's not super young. You're not going to toss in on Mobley. I think Mobley's ceiling is way higher than Jared Allen's. And again, I think that if you bit the bullet and you move Mobley to the 5, I think you'd have really similar results with Mobley at the 5 instead of having Jared Allen there. Uh, credit to what he does. Allen would be the odd man out for me, and I'm just searching for that 3 and D wing. Uh, let me ask you this. Is he your odd man out, and then would you also explore splitting up this guard tandem?
2: So, Allen would absolutely be my odd man out, and that's in spite of the fact that he has been playing really well lately, and has probably had a better season than Mobley overall. I just think there's so much more upside with Mobley and he has been disappointing in terms of his offensive progression. Still far from a reliable jump shooter and that is the one key that maybe could have unlocked this too big pairing if one guy was consistently effective from the perimeter and could space the floor. Or at the very least, it would just be a benefit to this offense to have another dude out there who can be a floor spacer. Even if it is... Mobley at the 5. But I think what he does in terms of defensive versatility is on another level. His ability to guard in space is phenomenal. And offensively, there's at least the potential. You've seen the flashes of him as a jump shooter where it's like maybe he can get there. As a playmaker, I just think he has more feel. He can just reach an entirely different level as a player than Jared Allen. So yeah, he is the guy who I would commit to and the too big look doesn't work, so one of them has to go. And then I would just sit with that for a little bit. And I would see how the two-guard, two-star guard look is for a while, at least, because I think it's really, really hard to construct a great team defense with two small guards. And maybe the only way that's possible is if you do then have these two great defensive bigs, which is always going to inhibit your offensive ceiling. So maybe it's just not possible to construct the great all-around basketball team with two small guards in your backcourt. But... Their issues really have been about offense. In the Mm -hmm. playoff run last year, it was their offense that broke down. They still had the number 1 defensive rating in the postseason. That's crazy. It's crazy. And they've been really good even in the stretch where it's been Allen as the lone defensive big out there this year. So I think that you need to have two dynamic shot creators. And maybe ideally one of them is a wing and then one of them is a guard. But I would at least say, how do things look if we move off of Allen Our offense is immediately going to be better. How good can we be defensively? They need a big wing who has some offensive skill. It's a specific archetype uh, that they're going to need alongside Mobley. And Mobley holding down the five, and maybe there will be some bumps and bruises, right? There's a couple matchups in which he can get bullied. He's got to be, I would say, more physical and assertive on the glass than he was in last year's postseason. But you just have to go away from this too big setup and I would not be in a rush to break up Mitchell and Garland. There are some redundancies there, but they're two great offensive players. They're two bona fide young stars. And if you can make it work, I think you got to at least give it a bit more of a trial run. All right, Logan. Let's fill out our all-star ballots here. The starters are set. In the East, we have Halley, Dame, Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid. And in the West, we have SGA, Luka, LeBron, KD, and Jokic. Not a ton of shocks there. A little bit surprising to see Steph left off, even though I don't think that he deserved it. I thought the fan vote would get him there, but I'm very, very happy to see SGA instead because he absolutely deserves it more. And of course, LeBron got the fan vote. Dame, I think, generated the most outrage. I would not have had him as a starter in the East. But who do you have as your East Reserve locks logan like who are the guys who you think absolutely have to be there and then we'll get into some of the uh more toss-up situations
1: my locks are jalen brunson think he has to be here i would have had him as a starter yep agreed Uh, donovan mitchell lock has to be has to be here by the way also
2: should have been a starter over dame if someone was going to be yeah having a better season
1: Uh, and then I got two more guards. I mean, I think Tyrese Maxey and Trey Young are locks for me, too. I'm not going to disrespect what Trey Young's been doing this season. Uh, yeah. Maxey's been playing awesome basketball, too. The next front court spots are uh, what's up in the air for me. The next lock and the only other lock, the other two front court spots, are real toss-ups for me is Bam Adebayo, Ooh. because I think he's still one of the best defenders on the planet, uh, if not the best overall defender on the planet the other two you want me to spoil them or do you want to uh, get into that
2: well let's just quickly go through my locks as well because i agree the two wild card spots are going to guards the level of guard play in the east is just on another level from what we're seeing in the front court brunson of course is a lock number one option on a damn good team phenomenally efficient offensive engine mitchell 28 and 6 on 58 percent true shooting plus 11 on off lock and then, yeah, Trey, you can say what you want about the Hawks team success. This isn't the best Trey season necessarily in terms of shot making, but he's giving you 27 and 11 on 58% true shooting. It would be completely unprecedented to deny a player with that sort of production and overall offensive impact. And then Maxi, even though he's struggled in the non would stretches, overall he's still 26 and 7 on 58% true shooting, plus 11 on-off for a team that's really quite good those might be my only four locks. There's a guy in the front court who I certainly uh, am most confident in who may actually be controversial. It's not Bam Adebayo. For me, it's Kristaps Porzingis actually, but give me the rest of your front court out East.
1: Yeah, I only have two more spots and one of them I've given to Kristaps Porzingis. That was my lock. He's missed 14 games, but when you look at What he's done on the court, I mean, I just think he's the more valuable piece. And then I gave the last spot to Jalen Brown. I'm going to be honest. I I mean, I was debating Paolo. I was debating Scotty. I was debating Julius Randle for these final spots. Julius Randle is an inherently flawed basketball player. So what did I do with him? I tossed him to the side. I just, I'm sorry, Julius. I know you. I know Julius Randle a little too well. I've watched him enough. I I don't think he's an all-star. Take the cop out. Take the
2: cop out for Randle that he's hurt. Oh, he's, he's
1: injured. He's injured. Uh, it's, it's all about the shoulder. It was all couldn't about the play. injury. Couldn't uh, play anyways. Yeah, couldn't play. So that's why that's why I, got a, I, I tossed him out. Uh, I wanted to give it to my boy, Scotty Barnes. I think he has made genuine leaps, genuine improvements. He's just not the caliber of offensive player that I think is deserving to get there. Paolo, growing pains. Young player. Yeah. Good team. Uh, it, it's about the team success and how you're driving team success to me. Scotty and Paolo don't move the needle for me, and so... A bit of a cop-out answer here. I gave it to the two guys on the best team in the East, and so I gave the Celtics three All-Stars. If you want to give it to Paolo, if you want to give it to Scotty, if you want to give it to Julius, uh, I-, I have uh, no quabbles with you, but I gave it to JB and quabbles. I gave it to Chris Stops. Qu- what's the word? It's not quabbles. Qualms. It's something. Quobbles. Or perhaps there you could say
2: I quibble I with that, but you've created some quibble. sort of Harry Potter it dish, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, we're gonna play some Quidditch and go quabbling.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Going quabbling after this. Yeah, we have the exact same team out east. So Porzingis, I do think, is one who may stand out to some people just because he doesn't necessarily have the raw numbers. I think he's a no-brainer because of his contribution to winning. He is giving you 19-7-2 on 66% true shooting. The most efficient scorer in basketball at that volume and is filling a void this Celtics team has had perfectly. He is a dominant mismatch attacker. He's averaging 1.4 points per post-up, Logan. He is shooting 66% on turnarounds. He is drawing a foul on like 30% of his post-up. So whether it's from shot-making or getting to the line, he's just abusing this combination of overwhelming physical advantages with his size, playing a more physical style, and then this tremendous jump-shooting ability that he has. So anytime they can hunt a switch, the smallest dude on the floor, or really any normal-sized wing, KP, can destroy. He has brought very valuable floor spacing to this team. He has been an elite rim protector. Holding players 15% below their average field goal percentage at the rim. That's the best mark of any dude protecting the number of field goal attempts at the rim that he is in basketball. And then just fits in really nice offensively as a screener as well. Popping, rolling, having a tremendously efficient, impactful two-way season. And I think he's the second best Celtic because of that. The Celtics are so great that I'm good with them having three all-stars. As we've talked about, they have like five all-star caliber players, but the buzz always for the sort of non-flashy stats all-star this year with Boston was Derek White. And I get it. Derek White's been awesome, but KP has been better. He hasn't been out there for every single game. I don't care. I think that what he's done in the majority of games in which he has still been out there has just been phenomenal. I do have Jalen, though, 23-5-4 and on and 58% true shooting. He's doing his job really well, and I think that what KP does is more valuable because of how he just slides in and because of what he's doing defensively, right? That complimentary stuff is so crazy. There are a decent amount of dudes who, as wings, can give you good volume output on solid efficiency, and that's kind of what Jalen's doing right now, but... Overall, I think you're seeing him really unleash these physical advantages. He's a versatile scorer, 47% from mid-range, 35% from three. Still a plus defender, which is disturbing because I really thought about that and the fact that he's the fifth best defender in the Celtics starting lineup and I almost vomited. Like, it's just unprecedented that there would be nobody who you can attack defensively in a series. But I think that he has clearly played at that level. When you look at the other guys, right, Jimmy has missed a bunch of games. Paolo I think is gonna make it and I love Paolo, but I just think that that's hasty It's rewarding a team that got off to a really good start But hasn't been very good as of late his efficiency is well below league average 54% true shooting The magic have been nine points per 100 possessions better when he is off the floor than when he's on it and it feels like we're just rewarding the face of a solid young team who is putting up good raw numbers When really, the team success here is all about the defense. They're 24th in offensive rating. They're 4th in defensive rating. And if I were to dish out credit for the Magic's team defense, Paolo would be a small part of that. He is certainly not the driving factor in that. So to me, it's just a bit of a misattribution of credit. But then for my last spot, I'm going with Bam. I'm underwhelmed by it. I get that he's having... A solid offensive season. He got off to a good start, but then January was rough. The shot-making let him down a bit. He was 18 a game on, like, under 54% true shooting. I think, though, because of the defensive impact, he belongs here. I'm also just kind of turned off of the Heat guys right now because they've been playing such shitty basketball recently. I hate when that happens. Yeah, well, of course, you know what I mean, Logan. Let's not get filthy here. But they've lost seven straight games, dude. So it's just a bit upsetting. We of course know that when it comes to a playoff setting, Bam is at least a top 25 guy you want. He's been healthier than Jimmy. And so for that, I'm rewarding him. But you didn't even mention the guy who I probably considered the hardest for that last spot. Spicy P, man. Spicy P's been having a really good year. And of course, with the Raptors, they weren't winning a ton of games. And with the Pacers, we haven't seen him and Halley get to go to work yet. But overall in the year, 22, 6.5 and and 5 on 62% true shooting. He's been great in isolation and post-up situations and transition. He's been attacking closeouts well off the ball. His teams have been 6 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. I think he's playing at a really high level. I I almost want to take him over Bam. Bam. But I don't think that I can, because Spicy P also hasn't been his best defensively this year, and Bam is always going to be great there. But I don't think that that's some no-brainer between the two of them. Spicy P just isn't going to get the recognition because, again, of the team success. But he was in Toronto.
1: And uh, I really do think Halliburton and Siakam are going to create a special pairing once they finally all together. Like, I think it's going to be a match made in heaven. Bam, to me, is still, I I put so much respect on Bam's name. He just, I don't know why, I don't know, man, it feels like Bam just always gets kind of I don't
2: know. Overlooked. He know? does, but it's because he's never going to be the same level of regular season se- player as he and is postseason player, I think.
1: He's not a sexy player, man. He's not, he doesn't have a sexy he's game. He's a good looking you know guy. I mean? well, yeah, sure. He's a handsome fella. He Great just doesn't build. have the most, you know, aesthetic. Uh, no. The aesthetic, beautiful game.
2: And he's also always polarizing because. I mentioned how he gets more valuable in a playoff setting. That, to me, is because of how he can just wreck things defensively. But he's always going to have those nights offensively where it's like, ah, cool, Bam gave us eight on 4 of 13 shooting, and he missed six floaters and a couple layups. And that stuff turns people off because, what do I always say, Logan? Basketball fans are infatuated with one-on-one scoring skill. For a lot of people, that's like the only thing that matters. And there's a whole lot of ways to impact winning outside of that. But Bam is never going to grade all that highly in, ooh, sexy one-on-one scoring.
1: The Heat are 10 points worse per 100 possessions with Bam on the floor, too. They have an offensive rating of 109. Offensively. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's what I
2: said, yeah. You just didn't clarify.
1: Oh, yeah, offense. they're 7.5 points better defensively with Bam on the floor. They're 10 worse offensively. Uh, 109.5 with Bam, 119.5 without him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what Bam is, but I respect him so much as a defender. I'll slide him in here.
2: There's no question he's like a better basketball player when it matters most than Siakam, but I do think in terms of regular season performance, it's pretty damn close. Other than that, you shouted out my honorable mentions, except – for Franz Wagner, who I think if we're putting Paolo in these conversations, we can't neglect Franz. Little more efficient, uh, slightly less volume offensively, but as overall players, I think that they're quite similar. Franz is a little bit better defensively. They're both good playmakers, but I don't think that either one of them is quite at the all-star level yet. Next year, call me back. For years in the future, I think they will consistently be there. Okay, how about out west, Logan, where, again, the starters are SGA, Luka, LeBron, Katie, Jokic. Who are your locks for the reserves?
1: My locks uh, are Steph Curry, Darren Fox for the two backcourt spots. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. My wild cards, Anthony Edwards, Devin Booker. These are all kind of locks for me. I don't know. I didn't really feel compelled yeah. by any of the guys I left off. Uh, and then in the front court, Kawhi... And I'm not gonna lie, I debated the last two front court spots, but they kind of took them convincingly. My last two, Lowry, Markin and Anthony Davis.
2: Wow. Interesting. God, I love Lowry being there. So my locks, I would say, Book, Steph, AD, Kawhi, Ant. But Foxy. I have Foxy? Fo- I have Fox on my team, but he was actually the last spot. For me, yeah, dude, I just think he's having a really good year, but the torrential shooting run that he was on has cooled down a bit, and now we're seeing he's taking the lowest percent of his shots ever at the rim, he's taking his highest percentage of shots from deep. He's just been more reliant on that pull up shooting, and it's been a good year overall, but there's been a bit of volatility there. And I do have that debate between who was the most valuable regular season player for the Kings. Nah. Between him and Sabonis, you have to have it, dude. I mean, Sabonis. Domas, man. Okay, I know how you feel about him in the playoffs, but that's not what we're legislating here, Logan. He's going to be crazy efficient. He really runs so much of that offense. He's going to dominate the glass. I'm he's giving it to Foxy. By,
1: he's going to get walled up by KD. He's going to miss shots in the clutch. He's yeah. going to
2: have no touch and blow games. Domas is a fraud. Okay, well, I gave it to Foxy over him but I do think in terms of regular season impact, it's not as much of a blowout as you would like it to be. Okay, and then, so you've given your whole roster. My yeah. last spot is Paul George. I do not have Lowry Mark and So let's kind of go through here. I have Book as a lock over Fox. I actually think that Book's had a better season than Steph. Uh, Book would be my third guard in this insanely loaded Western Conference conversation, but 28 and 7 on 62% true shooting, career highs in points per game, assists per game, effective field goal percentage, and true shooting percentage. His team is 12 points per 100 possessions better when he is on the floor. They are 24 and 14 when he plays, 3 and 6 when he doesn't. Shooting 76% in the restricted area, 47% from mid range, 38% from three. I mean, he's just, like, mastered the game offensively. And people hate Book, so people don't want to give Book credit. But the shot-making is absurd. The playmaking is the best that it's ever been. The impact on winning is pronounced and up there with the absolute best in the league. Top 10 player in the league, certainly playing at that level. Foxy's cooled off. Ant, as good as he is, I think that people will conflate team success with individual dominance. I think Book has pretty clearly been the better basketball player this season than Ant. So let's go to the only spot where we actually disagree then in terms of who's on the roster because Steph I think is obvious, AD I think is obvious, Kawhi I think is obvious, Ant I think at least being on the team is obvious. Why do you have Lowry over PG for that last spot?
1: I mean, I just think Lowry's playing winning basketball Like, I, and his job is a little tougher and I don't mean that in the sense that... Because Laurie's game is so graceful in the sense that I think he could work in a lot of different situations with what he does Mm -hmm. off balls. You know what I mean? Like, PG's a tougher, you know what I mean? Just like... Sure, yeah. He's tougher, but... He's Brandon
2: Miller's goat for a reason.
1: Exactly. But, I mean, I think Laurie's impact is really similar. They're 13.5 points per 100 possessions better with Laurie on the floor. They're 12.2 points per 100 possessions better offensively. They have an offensive rating of 121.4 with Laurie on the floor. And... I just think it's hard what he does man 23 and a half points per game nearly 40 percent from deep 49 percent from the field he's been stupid efficient yeah and he's a good rebounder he's not a horrible defender like yeah I don't know for me it's just like the Clippers are kind of loaded they've got Kawhi they've got Hart. and I know this you could make this argument for the Celtics on the other side like oh why do you have Chris and Jalen Brown the West is tougher the West is deeper like I might have Gobert above Paul George. You know what I mean? Whoa. Like I would think about that. I probably wouldn't. I but yeah, I just think it's different. It's it's hard for Mark and there's not a lot of there's no other stars in Utah, man. It's him going to work every night and I'm going to reward that. Like I just think he has been so so great at leading winning offensive basketball that I'm going to reward that. I think his situation is a little tougher and it's leading to them winning games. So I'm going to reward that, man. I think McLeod plays an awesome brand. This one was probably my toughest decision to make out of all of these teams. And that bum ass uh, front court spot in the East. That was tough.
2: Yeah. East front court left a little bit to be desired. West front court and West overall leaves tough. me wishing that I had about eight more spots to <laughs> yeah, get out, man. dude. Like, I'm just going to shout out a bunch of dudes who are on the periphery of this conversation, but I didn't even like re- give hard consideration to. Alperon Shangun, unbelievable season that he's having. Carl Anthony Towns, I actually did consider, but I would take Lowry over him. I think I would take Sabonis over him too, but 23, 9, and 3 on 64% true shooting for the one seed in the West playing career best defense. Like, fuck. Sucks to leave that guy off. Even Zion having a down year 22, 5.5 and, and 5 on 62% true shooting. Kyrie has been awesome. It's just 27 games played, I can't give it to him. James Harden has done his role so well, it's just the load and the two-way impact isn't enough for him to be the third All-Star on a team for me. Then, you get into the world of, like, the Desmond Baines, who's an inefficient, like, 25-point-per-game scorer, Triple J, who was Depoy last year and is giving you 20 a night. I tweeted out a whole list of names because I just can't believe... That we haven't expanded the All-Star rosters, Wemby,
1: Chet Holmgren, I mean, damn,
2: dude. It's obscene. Wemby absolutely deserves to be in these conversations. For the last month and a half now, he's clearly been playing at an All-Star level. Brandon Ingram, it's unconscionable. J-Dub, Jamal Murray, like, these are dudes who don't even have a chance. How is that possible? You know? When the NBA expanded to 12 man rosters for the All Star Game Logan, 1963. So there wow. were nine teams. We should have like 15, man. Oh, uh, absolutely. We should have 15. If we were keeping pace, Logan, we would have 40. The wow. league has over tripled in size. But, anyways, some of the dudes who made it that year, okay, Lee Schaefer, who left the NBA after three years because of a contract dispute to pursue a career in trucking. Johnny Green, shout out, hoop grid legend. He's come up in some trivia before was averaging 18 points per game for a 21-win Knicks team. Don you know, a solid guy of this era, made five all-star teams, but still putting up 19-4 for a 34-win team. Tom Meshery and Guy Rogers, a couple more of my favorites to bring up, old-fashioned Warriors, Wilt-era Warriors, but their raw production wasn't all that great on 31-win Warriors team with Wilt Chamberlain. Like there was a surplus of spots. They were giving it to guys who was like, "Eh, you know, I guess he's given 15 a game on a team that might make the playoffs, might as well throw him in there." Now it's like, "Oh, man. Oh, man, Cat, you're having the best year of your career on a great team with this crazy efficiency and really good raw production. Sorry, buddy, we just don't have a spot for you." I don't know. I think it sucks. I think we should have 15 and people will get in here as alternates, but It's still a bummer. Anyways, the reason that I have PG over Lowry, I'm like the world's biggest Lowry fan, dude. I've been preaching his value consistently these last two years. And having the Jazz at 500, what he does offensively, the way that he scores, how valuable it is in terms of fitting alongside any cast of players because it is so overwhelmingly away from the ball, just scrumptious, just delicious stuff. But to me, the edge is probably about two-way impact with PG. I do think that PG is a better player also because he is both excellent away from the ball, right? He is lethal coming off screens. He is having a phenomenal spot-up shooting season. And while Lowry is good on ball and he can abuse mismatches, there's just a different level of shot creation there and fluidity and playmaking from PG who is producing in terms of raw numbers at a high level, who is scoring efficiently, and that's across play types, spot-up 90th percentile. For a great team, too, you know? For a great team. That's another tiebreaker. I think it's the two-way impact. I think it's the on-ball creation. I think it is the fact that he is doing it for a great team. I I mean, the
1: playmaking, too. I mean, that's that's an aspect.
2: Yeah, I consider that as part of, like, the Mm on-ball creation. That, to me, is the separator... I do just think he's a better basketball player Mm -hmm. because of some of those difference makers. But I want to have Lowry here so badly, dude. Like, how do you deny a guy who's scoring at this volume with obscene efficiency and is taking a team that has no business sniffing the playoff picture to that level? We need to expand we need to expand dude because this as an exercise is becoming more stressful and painful <laughs> than it is fun being like ah yes one of my favorite players who i've probably said eight times this year oh he, he's playing at an all-star level can't quite make it bums me out but uh the west is pretty crazy this year dude which for all of like the underwhelming team success we talked about the individual players they're still studs
0: this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: I'm still thinking about how I frindled a word either uh, earlier this episode. That man. was sick, dude. Dude, I thought that was dope. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. Uh, I was stuck between coral, qualm, no. squ- uh, like
2: uh, quibble, squabble. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah, and I came up with Quabble, man. I thought Quabble was cool, bro. I don't want you to knock yourself. Any other thoughts on this All-Star picture? I mean, we agreed is... on the entire list except for one spot.
1: Carson, we have... Wow, it's kind of hard to put into words. We've done this for four years now, picking out the All-Star teams. Five. 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 Yeah. This is our fifth. True. This was the hardest one that we've ever done, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I think that the that's The most true. difficult, man.
1: And yes, if we got to be the advocates, I mean, 15, 16, whatever the number, I, I think we have to, man. Like, there, there's too much talent. There's too many great players. There's too many great teams. Uh, and I don't know. And Maybe on the other side of this, what do you think? Like, all-star teams mean more now that they just, you know, should inherently mean more? Like, I, I think, I don't think it, I don't think expanding the all-star teams demeans, you know, it in any way.
2: No. Not at all, dude. It's all about being proportionate, like compared to even what we had in the 80s and 90s, right? Well, in the 80s for sure, when you're talking about there was 24 teams. It's just proportionate expansion. I mean, Logan, the exact ratio, if we want to maintain it, 24 to 30, 12 to 15. That's a 4 to 5 ratio in both cases, okay? and I love that's you, not Carson. even accounting for the you, fact <laughs> that rosters are bigger overall the league is more stacked with talent per capita than it's ever been it just makes me upset but anyways it's going to be interesting to see who the coaches choose i predict uh that actually it's probably going to be exactly what i have honestly because i don't think that lowry is going to get that nod they'd be cool they're going to give respect to a vet like PG. Do you think they're going to give it to over JB too
1: or Paolo over Chris Dubs?
2: I think that they're going to give it to Paolo over... That's a good question.
1: I think they're probably going to give it to Paolo over KP.
2: I think it's probably going to be KP who gets left out. Silly coaches. <laughs>
1: Silly, Silly fans. Coach.
2: Silly fans, but this is on the coaches now, so... I think that it's going to be Paolo. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here today, folks. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, then the good news is there's always more Nerd Sesh content out there. You can listen to the show across audio, uh, all audio platforms. You can watch every full episode on the Nerd Sesh YouTube page with video. And by the way, stay tuned to the Nerd Sesh YouTube page overall, because We've got some more special content coming, perhaps a couple of video essays, video breakdowns, maybe even about a team that we discussed today. No spoilers. We also may be introducing a new game, a little bit of long form trivia to our YouTube channel, which uh, you guys may be seeing over the next couple days. So subscribe to the YouTube page if you want all of that. You can follow us across social, TikTok and Instagram at nerdsesh, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh if you want to see all of our trivia stuff, clips from the show, some original content that we do there, just quick uh, NBA thoughts, lists, whatever it may be. You can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bio. And you can check out our merch. Logan's got the hat on. We've got shirts. we got hoodies. We've got the flags behind us. All of that at thevolume.com. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden.